I just was saying this in a class I was teaching teenagers the other day. I said, I need you to interrupt me. I need you to ask your questions because, because you might be used to telling adults, you know, in, in certain cases, right? They tell adults what they want to hear, right? They, they get accustomed to the, which is the cynical adult world, right? To tell us what we want to hear, get the grade, go get low under the radar, whatever. I said, but your questions matter because they're your questions. Full stop. Like, I care about what's going on between your ears. I really do. But even more than that, your questions, even your like, that's dumb. I hate this, whatever. Like that's you wrestling with the content that I'm trying to give you. So don't hesitate, pour it out. God gave us a brain for a reason. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knees Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am not joined today by Dave, the indelible, indubitable servant of the Lord, Van Vickle. He, unfortunately, uh, keep him in your prayers. His wife had some last-minute uh, doctor's visits and scans and stuff, and in their ongoing, what is this now, four-year, three-year saga. So uh, keep her definitely in your prayers. Um, but we are joined today by our scheduled wonderful interview guest. I haven't talked to this guy in way too long, but we have Mark Hart, the chief innovation officer at Life Team. Mark Hart, the Bible geek. You've known him. You've loved him. You've downloaded his podcasts many a time. Uh, Mark, how you doing today, man? Yay! Yay, it's you. I'm just rooting for myself. <laughs> how you doing, Gomer? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hey, if you don't root for yourself, who will? There you go. See? Yeah. Yeah. Looking good, man. You're looking really good. You're well, I'm, I'm mostly tired. Mostly tired. Sleepy. <laughs> uh, my new, uh, I have a new health regimen. Uh, you ready mm. for this? I yeah. get four hours of sleep due to poor planning, <laughs> and then I drink a gallon of coffee uh, before noon. Oh, it's the ages of the kids, man. This is the season. <laughs> Wait to become teenagers. They want to process stuff until like one o'clock in the morning. It's awesome. My my oldest daughter, she's twelve. Uh, she if she went to a public school, she would definitely be a theater geek, right? So that's awful and fun. I mean, it's wonderful. And uh, no, but she is very dramatic, and she'll be the first one to tell you that. But <laughs> she, the processing is literally like that is an intentional, literal thing that happens three days a week. Like, okay, I'm, I want my brothers and sisters to go to bed so that we can talk. And so now it's a running joke where she just walks up to us and she goes, it's time to talk about my feelings. And we're like, okay. <laughs> oh, it's, no, it's a real thing, man. It's a real thing. I, I have 20, 16, and 14 all girls in the house right now. It's a real thing. We will process until we can't process anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. The only body part you can feel at 1 a.m. is your eyelids. It's <laughs> awesome. Nice. And then when they turn 21, that's when you get to, you know what, let's just let's just go out to a bar. Let's just process this like men over beer, a game that I can easily be distracted by on 27 televisions behind your head. It'll be nice. I'm looking forward to I'm it. I'm not saying I'm counting down the days, but I am <laughs> counting down the days. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, you've been uh, act, youth ministry background, involved in Life Teen for how many years now have you been a part of Life Teen Inc.? Uh, Life Teen International, I've started, I just started my 26th year. 26th year. That's how old I am. Yeah, man. So you've been doing it since <laughs> I was born. Just kidding. There you go. Uh, since yeah. you were a fetus. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you've been doing that, and uh, what was your original title? You were out, um, 
running the Life Teen Studios out there. That's when I actually got to know you. Yeah. Obviously, I knew you through all the work that you did with Life Teen because I, you know, here at St. Anthony's, we've been a Life Teen Parish uh, since we started in '98. But um, I actually got, you know, I got to meet you at the Life Teen training conferences and events. You did a couple of the um, area stuff, uh, you know, the Six yeah. Flags type stuff for, uh, you know, mm-hmm. these big, wonderful type events that we would go to as teens. And um, how did you how did you get involved in in first youth ministry, but then really specifically where I think a lot of people know you as through the Bible geek? How did you get involved in that too? You know, it was um, I I had a plan to make money. I did. <laughs> I had a plan to have a, an occupation and you know be able to pay my mortgage and yep. you know, um. So uh, I had about six months left in college and I had a job um in video production. I was actually my I I actually made like in video television that kind of thing. And I was really excited about it. And then uh, my former pastor, who was really, really significant in my conversion process, uh, he called me when I had about you know four or five months left in college. And he says, hey, do you want to be my youth minister? And I said, no. And he said, please? And I said, no. And he says, well, and then he did the most manipulative thing a priest can do. And you know this, mm-hmm. Gomer. He says, pray about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that just, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. That just sucks. I mean, a priest says, pray about it. That's just the most manipulative. It's just like the trump card into the pile. It's like, this sucks. So <laughs> I uh, I pulled a Rudy. I went down to the grotto in Notre Dame and oh, I'm crying and I'm praying and I'm like, and I, I knew, I knew I was supposed to do youth ministry. I did not want to, but I knew I was supposed to. So I said to God, worst, this thing, thing, thing worst decision I ever made. I said, God, I said, I'll give you one year. And that was 28 years ago. Um, so <laughs> so I, uh, I I called the priest back. I said, I'll do it. Then I called the, the job I had taken. And I said, I'm I'm reversing my decision. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And then I had to call my father and mm. tell him that I was going to deny the job that was going to pay me and go into youth ministry. And that was a horrible conversation. So <laughs> it was uh it was good. it was a leap of faith and I yep. said one year God and then God has a sense of humor and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> we're still doing what, it. What was your dad's uh main was it just the money? Like how are you gonna pay for life? You no, know, I I you know my dad, God rest his soul, um he came around in the end before mm. before he went home to heaven. But mm. he he said, Why would you waste your talent and your degree on ministry? That was the exact phrase. Yeah. Which was really that was always a hard conversation, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and it kind of made me wonder. I'm like, gosh, am I wasting my talent? I agree. I don't know. Um, but then you know, what? You, you know this. Like, you're a, you're a journeyman. You're like, again, you're long in the tooth. You're no young. You're no young buck. You've been in ministry for a long time. Like, yeah, you know, ministry. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of like the mafia. You know, you get in, you can't get out. Like, right. you just. Um, but you know what? Like when you uh, when you get in that position and you see the lights turn on in a kid. You see, yeah. you see the dots connect. You see somebody get it for the first time. There's just, there's no thrill like it. It's just, it's a really, really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, it's been amazing in youth ministry. I tell people all the time, nothing exhausts you and gives you life more than doing youth ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I felt that particularly acutely with middle school youth ministry because I did that exclusively for for three years down at St. Lawrence and Sugarland, and then I came up here to do adult faith formation. And I just remember every edge night, I was like sweating. <laughs> I was exhausted. <laughs> I only had ten volunteers, and I had three hundred kids. And oh, man. yeah, it was. I had eleven volunteers. I had eleven volunteers. Thirty. <laughs> yeah. So what? What I would do because you can't have small groups of thirty. That's a youth group for a lot of people. So what I would do is, 
I would only let it was we had sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I would only let one grade go to small groups a week. And I just had catechists. The the core members were the small group leaders. And I had one leftover plus the guy who sat at the front reception desk. I would have them come in for safe environment purposes. And uh, and I would uh, we would we would have a break. I would give them like, I don't know, like Jolly Ranchers or something. And then we would go through a parable of Jesus as and then we would we would read it. I would explain it. Then we would read it again and do a Lezio over it. And by that time, 30 minutes had passed. They would do some sharing. You know, I would let them talk amongst themselves or come up to the front. And I, I would say this to people all the time. I was like, man, I am so happy we got rid of a third of our kids so that we could have an intimate time of 200 to <laughs> 201. But those kids shared some of the most incredible stuff. And that's where I realized um, my buddy, uh, Brian Kelsch had always said this and he was, he's the, I took over his job and he went to join a religious order at the time. And, um, he said, never doubt the spiritual lives of middle schoolers. And, you know, they are actually capable of profound and deep, uh, interior life. We just don't ever give them, we doubt it. So we don't ever build towards that. And so, yeah, man. Me and 200 kids doing a <laughs> group Let's Go Divina. Honestly, I'm so glad you said that. I have, I have a weird love for middle school. Like, it takes a special kind of off soul. It takes, it yeah. takes a screwy soul. Like, yeah, to love special kind of crazy. Man, yeah. I tell you, man. But they, but you hit the nail. It's they're, They are capable of a depth that we very rarely give them credit for. Yeah. But, I mean, when you think about it, though, you think, about, you think back to that time in your middle school, like, you're so acutely aware of who you are, your own insecurities, your, in, your, your, your uncomfortableness in your own skin. I mean, it just, you're so aware. And all of a sudden, if you introduce them, if you can introduce them to the Lord at that moment, when they're so raw and they're yeah. so open, amazing things can happen. I mean, it, it's incredible. We just, so often we're just like, ah, oh, no, they're just walking hormones. They're just really, really awkward and just yeah. get away from them. You know, we blow them off. Yeah, and we always have, you know, they either smell like BO or Axe body spray. <laughs> and, uh, or both. Or both. Or both. <laughs> not both. <laughs> we are a both and community. Um, yeah, so what about your love of sacred scripture? How did that originate in your own life? Because I know that you, you've shared these stories before that when I was at a, a Life Team training uh, conference, you were talking about how how you got into the Bible, how you became the Bible geek. And I remember just thinking in so many ways, like, you know, these simple invitations that we can make into the lives of teens and, and young adults, they're transformative. So, you know, you're, you're kind of um, known for your, I, I would say like you make the Bible come alive for the average layman, right? You're not coming at it from this. You're not out there trying to publish scholarly articles. C.S. Lewis said this. He's like, I don't, I'm not an academic in theology, but I understand the theologians and I'm the middle point for the average layman or for, you know, to, to distill this information. And you've been that for so many people for literally, I mean, now the two decades, right? You have been that for so many people. So how did you get into scripture? You know, honestly, I, uh, I'm glad you asked that. I, I'm, I'm a typical cradle Catholic kid. I'm the fifth of six kids, right? Like we never missed mass. We had our pew, man. We had our pew. And if someone sat in our pew, God help them. My dad would burn a, a, a laser in the back of their heads with his stare for the whole, I mean, the whole, I heard the name of God invoked more on the way to mass, Gomer, than I ever did in mass. Okay. Like that was like, that was, that was my family, right? We never read scripture. We never talked about it. We, we, we always said grace before meals. We never talked about God. Hmm. Um, 
Never prayed together, never read the scripture together. So imagine my surprise all of a sudden when this thing called Life Teen starts at my parish and I'm like 16 years old and my youth minister starts breaking open scripture. And I come face to face and and really, I guess, soul to soul with this God who doesn't love me because of the stuff that I've achieved. And that was really my, my upbringing, like my, the six kids in our family, it was always about like performance-based affirmation, right? Like you're, you're not just on the team, you're the captain of the team, you're not just in the band, you're the chair, you're the first chair. You're not just on student council, you're president of student council. It was like mm. an expectation, right? So it was very performance-based, right, love. And no, no deference to my parents, I love my parents, but like that was just the way we were raised, right? So all of a sudden I come face-to-face with this God in scripture who loves me not because of what I do, but because of who I am. Like in lieu of who I am, right? Like, like <laughs> no matter what I do. So all of a sudden, like page after page in the Gospels, there's this God who loves me for me. And I had a youth minister. I was lucky enough to a youth minister who unpacked this to me and started to show me that like my worth and my identity was not performance-based. Mm-hmm. It was based on a God who loved me and it was based on a relationship. And that was like, like watershed, like groundbreaking. And all of a sudden, I uh, I just couldn't like I, I it was it, it spoke to where I was in my life. I was a very very I mean I'm gonna say a typical teenager. I was even worse. Um, I was a very narcissistic, self involved, still am, um, teenager, navel gazing, just like it was just all about me. And all of a sudden, I came face to face with this God who loved me anyway, in spite of all my crap and spite of all my sinfulness, and it changed my life. And uh, all of a sudden, it was like I, the more I read scripture, the more I wanted to read scripture, and the more I moved, like, the more I read the New Testament. Then all of a sudden, I want to start investigating the Old Testament. It was just, yeah. and then, then you know, God was really good in that He put a lot of really smart people in my path. Like, uh, honest to God, like just really, really, really smart people who've written a lot of books and given a lot of talks, and and I could go to them and say, "Hey, what should I read next? And what should I read next?" And they kind of mentored me and said, "Go read this and go read that." And so I was very blessed. Um, but like to your point, like with C.S. Lewis, I'm, I've never set out, I mean, I'm not a theologian. I mean, I'm not, I just, I never set out to be like, oh, I'm going to go write some preeminent whatever. No, I looked at, I looked at it like, well, I was blessed enough to have this youth minister or this priest or this person in my life to kind of mentor me. And so what can I do as an intermediary to make what seems and can be very intimidating sacred scripture Make it accessible and digestible and chewable, right? Like you know, mm-hmm. like like you have mm-hmm. you have kids, right? <laughs> I have kids, like so, like you have to have chewable Tylenol. You can't, you know what I mean? You yeah. can't just have the pills you swallow. You got you got to have an intermediary because they need it. So yeah. I was like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't need to be the smartest or the brightest or the holiest because God knows I'm not any of them. Um, but but maybe I can help in the in the intermediary part, the transitional part. Like how maybe I can help make something really really dense and scary and confusing, yeah. um, easier to understand. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty much think, all I'm doing. Like, I'm not, I, it's, it's, no, it's, it's like no secret. It's just, yeah. I'm just trying to make stuff that's heady, not so heady. Not right? so heady. You know, my fa- one of my favorite things that you've ever done was the, um, uh, who, who did you do it with? I think it was, he's now a priest, Father Cuddy. Oh yeah. Father Cajetan. Yeah. Yeah. I knew him as Chris Cuddy at Franciscan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, smartest dude to ever walk on the planet. Oh, Holy man. Gosh, moly, that guy's smart. I was in a class called Thomistic Traditions in Philosophy. I was a philosophy mm-hmm. theology double major at Franciscan, 
And uh, a seminarian had asked a question, a, a well actually question, you know, like, well actually. And, you know, and the professor, the professor said, well, this is a philosophy class, not a theology class. But in the interest of saving time, and he just looked over at Chris, kind of sitting in the front, he goes, will you answer him in the way Thomas will? And he goes off on this most incredible like i mean it was as if he had prepared like for me to give the kind of answer that he gave i would have to have researched this would be like a talk i would give and in five mm. minutes he distilled it was eucharistic theology he distilled like transubstantiation down and i was like that was incredible well, yeah. that was ad-lib. formerly formerly chris now father Kajanin, yeah. literally one of the three smartest dudes i've ever met in my entire life i mean the guy he's a walking encyclopedia yeah for those millennials encyclopedia was a a, a series of books that uh <laughs> held information no i mean he the guy he's unbelievable thank god he's on our side so i'm yeah. gonna say thank god he's on our side he's a dominican he's an incredible priest but but yeah years ago uh oh, then chris now father Cajunite, we wrote a book about the works of saint paul that was called sword of the spirit and it's now been since been republished under under the title zealous understanding like the the life of St. Paul and, and the writings of St. Paul. But yeah, it was uh, it was really it was so intimidating to write with him because he's so smart that <laughs> I would feel so stupid sending him my pages and be like, "Can you make this sound smarter?" I mean, oh my gosh, it was it was horrible. Yeah. It was great. It was a great experience. Yeah, whenever I became a a youth minister here at St. Anthony's, it was 2005. So Life Teen had started here, I think in 99, and I moved here right beforehand in 98. And I remember being like, what the heck is Life Teen? So I did a Google search. Originally, I searched Live Teen, totally different set of websites. Dear Lord, help me. I remember doing that, and I'm like, Live Teen, oh my gosh, it's awful. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm way off. So I grabbed the bulletin, went through it, and Life Teen and then I typed in Houston, and there were a handful of parishes here that had had program going for years. And I looked at it, and it was like, hey, everyone, we're going to go on retreat. We're going to have confessions, blah, blah, blah. And then I looked at another church, and it was uh, St. Thomas More in Houston, where now my parochial vicar, he was actually in the Life Team program when I'm Googling this. He, it, it was like, hey, adoration on Sunday night, and then we're going to do this. Uh, topics include more moral the- or, you know, moral life and big questions about dating or whatever. And, and I was looking at this, and I was like, where has this been my whole life in terms of like <laughs> orthodox, faithful, Catholic teaching, spiritual practice? And yet, uh, you know, it looked fun. It looked inviting. It was all those things. But then, uh, so then I fast forward. Now it's 2005. I just graduated Franciscan, and I'm the youth minister here at St. Anthony's. And I remember uh, Barbara Beal, who was an area contact and my boss, she walked me into this closet with all the life team, you know, all the youth ministry stuff. And she said, here are all the training videos. And it was all VHS. <laughs> I think the new ones were in DVD. And I went, I just watched every single one of them. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. I, you know, getting equipped and all that good stuff. But for me, it was, I felt like my ministry came alive when you guys did the teen timeline, right? Mm. The original, we still have it. We got the DVDs in the youth room. Yeah. We were going to do it this summer. And then I had, uh, because of this fancy podcast here, a little inside scoop on um, Venture and all this wonderful stuff coming out. So um, we actually now have patterned our entire freshman year. So in our archdiocese, Freshman is the pre-rec year of faith formation before they go into confirmation their sophomore year. Oh, yeah. Cool. And so what I found over over the years, you know, confirmation is essentially we just teach you the catechism and hope that you want to be Catholic and then we'll confirm you at the end if you want fingers to still crossed. be Catholic. Right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Will it work? 
But the cool thing is now with this kind of like, I, I broke the freshman away from youth group. There's 300 of them. So they are their own standalone youth group. So we broke them away. But in going through it, I realized like, this is what I want to do. I want to talk about atheism, faith, religion, uh, science, reason, all the things. Yeah. And then I want to go through and do a crash course in the Bible timeline. And so basically we rewatched all of the teen timeline DVDs. And I was going through it and we broke them down and that because now you release venture and we have it here, that is going, that is a solid part of our curriculum going forward because the problem is this is, this is what we heard from teenager. They didn't know who Noah was. They didn't, they've never even heard of Abraham. I'm like, you never sang that song, father Abraham, when you came to VBS. No, they don't know any of this stuff. Right. Right. And atheists at their school know more about scripture than the Catholics do. They do. And it You're just, absolutely right broke my heart like, oh you believe adam and eve and they're like uh now i know adam and eve i know that one what about cain and abel you believe that you know and they're like i've never heard of cain and abel i would say about right. 60 70 percent of my kids i never even heard of never even heard the names cain and abel nope so um yeah so what what was it like uh rebooting that well actually let me ask you first the original matthew team uh team timeline and then you did the matthew one um yeah how do you distill the Bible and Jeff Caven's 24 week, you know, the Bible timeline <laughs> into something for, for high school students and even middle school? I've used it with eighth graders. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I did. I, uh, so I, I went through Jeff's timeline. It, it was, you like, to your point, 24 lessons, like over, and, and he says an hour each. Let's be honest. Jeff went 90 minutes each. Like, I, I love Jeff. I love the guy. <laughs> Greatest beard in history. Yep. But no, as a uh, Jeff, like, I mean, so I went through it. I said, I would love to do this with teenagers. And he actually, the first time I said this to him, he actually laughed at me. He's like, I would love to see that. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of said, okay, well, I accept the challenge. And I was working, I was, I was doing confirmation at the time. I was. And um, so I kind of just tried to take all that info and tried to distill it into eight sessions, which was, you know, Mike. It was really, it was hard, man. Like, mm -hmm. it's a lot of stuff, you know? You're trying to, like, get through who's the world power and, you know, like, where, yeah. you know, how salvation history moving through Israel. It was a lot. I boiled it down. We did the team timeline. And, um, but teens caught it. They were getting it. Cause, you know, cause it really, it's a story. It's a story. Let's not overcomplicate things, right? It's the charisma. It's the person of Jesus. It's the story. It's the, the setup. You know, in, uh, Genesis is the setup, the upset, and the reset. That's really mm. what Genesis 3 is, right? That's like, it's the setup, the upset, and the reset. When we talk about original sin. And, they were getting into it, so we did the team timeline, and it went it went really well. Like people were like, they, they were they were getting it, they were getting it, right? Mm -hmm. And but, but here's the problem: like that was almost twenty years ago. It was like 15, 20 years ago. I did that, yeah. And I've been wanting to redo it because hell, I mean, when we did it, there was there was no TikTok, there was no Instagram, it was MySpace, dude. There wasn't even Facebook. <laughs> it wasn't even like Twitter. I mean, like come on. So I mean, I I had dark hair. I mean, I had hair. I mean, it was a, it was a very different time. I mean, I had like my 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 college age kid was like in diapers. I'm like, okay. So I I went to Ascension. And I said I I would really love to redo this because so much has changed. I mean, technologically, so much has changed. Mm. What we can do visually has changed. And I said, you know, I also have access to people who are far more talented than I. You know, and we can bring this to life in a different way. So the idea behind Venture was. Can we relook at how to do the Bible timeline, how to do salvation history with teenagers? But can we do it through a plurality of methods? You know, um, in '78, John Paul II he did Catechesis Tridentae, and he said contemporary catechesis is going to require a plurality of methods. Basically, he was—I mean, he was such a visionary and such a prophet. He's like, like you're not going to be able to do it one way. 
You yeah. got to do it several ways. You have to say it, say the same thing several different ways, right? So I sat down at the at kind of like the drawing board and people said, what'd you do during COVID? I said, venture. This is what I did during COVID. Like, I mean, I sat <laughs> down and just wrote, you know what I mean? Wrote and, and, I, and the best part was that as I was developing it, I mean, I have three teenagers at home. So I would, I would, I would be like, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I'd be talking to them. They're talking to their friends. Like even when I went and shot it, I'm coming home with the outtakes and I'm like, Hey, is this funny? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, thanks. Is this funny? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> so yeah. cause you know, you know, your kids are so honest. Like they're just yeah. so raw. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was fun creating it because it was sort of like I was creating it like with my family, like with my own kids and their friends and being like, Hey, does this hit? Does this not hit? Does this analogy work? Does it not? But then being able to call in people like, Father Josh Johnson, um, mm. Chica Anwayu, I mean, Mari Pablo, Paul J. Kim, like being able to pe- call people in, Bob, you know, Bob Rice and um, Dr. You know, Andrew Swafford, like people who are like really, really good at what they do. Yeah. Being able to call them in for five minutes here and 10 minutes there, like on video, you know, being able to put them on, on screen where it's not just me talking, bringing the Bible to life. It's, it's a lot, it's a, it's a, a bunch of different voices and different backgrounds, like culturally and life experience and just academically to be able to bring you to life and go, okay, I've been teaching the Bible to teenagers for, you know, 27 years. And you know, you, Gomer, you know where they're going to digress. You know mm-hmm. the questions they're going to ask. And when you're trying to unpack it, you know, as well as I do, you're in Genesis, they're going to be asking questions about, you know, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and incest and that, where it's going to digress like off the, off the map. So you know what questions they're going to ask. It's more about how can we answer those questions, but not lose the forward progress, right? Yeah. And that yeah. was the idea behind Venture was, can we, can we create enough videos, ancillary materials, not just a workbook, but video, where, that, where uh, anybody... Even, it could even be a parent. It doesn't have to be like a skilled catechist or a theologian. Anybody, even a parent, could get the resource and pull off a Bible study, even in their home if they had to, in their backyard during COVID, whatever. But they could do it in a way that is going to answer all the questions but still keep the narrative moving forward. And that's the, that's the tricky part. Because you know what? We all have access to the same Bible, right? It's not – I mean, we all have the Bible. It's about who can translate it and how do you translate it in a way – for a contemporary American teenager to be able to understand what God's been saying to us for thousands of years. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you mentioned <laughs> the, the standard questions that teens always ask and all this stuff. I was at an event um, at the Catholic Charismatic Center here in Houston, and Paul Kim was the the main guy, right? So he's, I show up, I'm just giving like a breakout session, you know, the local guy and um, I show up and it's lunchtime. So I go meet up with him and we're chit chatting and stuff. And I love him. He's such a great guy. He's so, he's such a nice guy and I'm yes. so cynical and, and not, um, but he goes up on stage <laughs> and he is talking and he's doing his thing. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I do this to all the things like I, unless I have to go to the bathroom, I'm in the front row stealing every single thing I can from these national speakers. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm writing down. And he's talking about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and he's talking about the growth of God's family. And some kid, uh, they do a question and answer, and they they could text their questions to a moderator. Of course, you always have sure. to have a moderator when you have teenagers. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, screening it. And the very first question was, who did Cain and Abel marry, or who did Cain and Seth marry? And he just sits mm-hmm. there and he goes, 
are you serious? And then he like looks over at me. He's like, Gormley, <laughs> Gormley, what is the answer that you could do? And I'm like, no, 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 this is fun. This is fun. This just go. It's all you, go. buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because like the last time I hung out with Paul Kim, that was literally the question that, that they asked. But see, that's the thing. It's like when you, when you, when you work with youth, you know, you've ministry long enough, you, you can already, you can forecast what questions are going to come up. So that's why. In venture, for instance, like I was able, I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the salvation history narrative uh, on these videos, but I'm gonna call in people like, you know, Swaff, like Andrew Swafford. He teaches at Benedictine College. Doctor Bob Rice, okay, yeah. Deacon Doctor Bob Rice, excuse me, from mm-hmm. Franciscan. Mm-hmm. Chica, like people, like, people who are really Mari Pablo, like really seasoned catechists who know how to explain and distill the depths and the riches of the faith in really easy to understand ways for teenagers. So there's a whole separate set of those kinds of videos where yeah. I'm asking the, the pros, quote unquote, the catechists, these questions where if you're the, if you're the catechist and you're like, I don't know how to answer this. I didn't, I didn't take catechetics at Franciscan, mm-hmm. but you know what? But the resource is there. Just, you know, you can press play, you can let the expert do it and you can then follow up with the leader guide and say, okay, well, this is what this means, you know, but I, I think that's, that's what intimidates a lot of people when it comes to scripture study. It's not about, I don't want to share scripture. It's about what if somebody asks me a question I can't answer? Yeah. Or what, what, what we get in those really tricky parts of the old Testament, which are really like, you know, yeah. that's the thing. So that was the idea was let's create enough resources that even if you're uncomfortable, it's there. Like the answers are there. The, the conversations are there so that your teens don't go wondering or even worse, wandering afterwards, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so important when you understand the heart and mind of teenagers to, which is itself such a difficult task in this ever-changing world. But you're coming at it in this perspective of like, I really, really think your questions matter, right? Like fundamentally, I think your questions matter. So I'm going to build this entire curriculum to not just teach you the faith, but also to answer your questions, right? And um, well, right, because 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 teenagers teenagers actually ask the questions that adults are afraid to ask. Yeah, like let's be honest, right? There's a lot of adults who are like, "Well, I learned this in Catholic school, so I should know it, but I'm embarrassed to ask it." But I'm kind of <laughs> wondering, but I'm not going to say it out loud. But teens are just like, "Nope." I'm asking the question. Like, like they don't care, right? They're just going to put you right on the mat. Yep. Like, call, you to, call you to the mat. It's, it's the best. It, that's why teenagers are great. They're the last bastion of truly honest people on the planet. Because if yep. you're full of crap, they're going to tell you. Yeah. It's great. My daughter, uh, I'll never forget my daughter. We were sitting at the dinner table and my son Noah was preparing for First Holy Communion. So we're going through the little uh, New St. Joseph's Holy Communion book, you know, classic 58 mm. one. And we're going through different things. And my daughter, Cecilia, goes, wait, Dad, I got a question for you. It's like, yeah, honey. She said, um, all right. So I'm thinking about all this stuff. Uh, why does Jesus let bad things happen to people? And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, wow. So the question pain and suffering, all right, here we go. And then she said, and like, I'm thinking about it. Like if I could help someone who was suffering, but like, I'm a kid, I can't do anything about it, you know, but if I could, I would, but God's God, if he could, he would, if he's a good person. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is even deeper. And she goes, but he doesn't. So like, how come, why would we call him God? I was like, oh my gosh, you just paraphrased St. Thomas Aquinas. So good. So 
so good. <laughs> you raised the trees of Avila. This is so good. <laughs> she said that, and I, I just sat there, and I looked at her, and I looked up at my wife, and I was like, this is going to be the greatest dinner conversation of all time. <laughs> of all dinner. Your daughter is Alfonso's Liguri. Yeah. This is the best. <laughs> yeah. And I looked at her, and I said, I answer that no, and uh, <laughs> but it was so, it was so funny to see that like I was not anticipating an a, a, an eleven year old ask that question that that kind of that kind of shocked me, but uh, yeah the the questions that they asked like I, I just was saying this in a class I was teaching teenagers the other day, I said I need you to interrupt me I need you to ask your questions because mm-hmm. because you might be used to telling adults you know in in certain cases right they tell adults what they want to hear. Right. Oh, they, totally. they get accustomed to mm-hmm. the, which is the cynical adult world, right? To tell us right. what we want to hear, get the grade, go get low under the radar, whatever. I said, but your questions matter because they're your questions. Full mm-hmm. stop. Like, I care about what's going on between your ears. I really do. But even more than that, your questions, even your like, that's dumb. I hate this, whatever. Like, that's you wrestling with the content that I'm trying to give you. So don't yeah. hesitate. Pour it out. God gave us a brain for a reason, and we need this stuff, right? I I so wish that every parish had a Gomer. I really do, and that's not that's not like a, a slight on the state of parishes, but like <laughs> or the state of Gomers. <laughs> but but you're willing to do that, exactly. Yeah. But you're willing to do that, and you're capable of responding to those. Like I think where we run into a problem is that there's a lot of parishes where you have leaders who want to do that. Yep. but they can't. Mm-hmm. They don't feel theologically equipped. They don't feel relationally equipped, right? They don't, I don't know, the teenagers won't ask them, they don't trust them enough to ask them a question, right? They just go right back into that zone you're talking about, just I'm gonna say what the, what the leader says, you know, thinks I want them to think I should say. And when you have that unique mixture of somebody who gets teenagers, knows how to talk to them, loves them, and also has the academic prowess to be able to say, ask me anything, you know? And if I don't, and, and, and humble enough to be like, if I don't know, we'll go figure it out together. But right, that's a really special thing. And that's a really cool thing. And that's, that's when you see teenagers go really deep. You see mm-hmm. vocational discernment really pop. You see people really dig their heels in. You see them make lifelong decisions as teenagers about yeah. the kind of life they're going to live virtuously, sacramentally, that kind of a thing. I think it's a special thing. So I, what I was trying to do like a venture is not every parent has that. Not every parish has that person, right? Mm. So how can we create a resource with really smart, really talented people who know how to distill the gospel in a way that if someone doesn't have that theological backing, they feel like they have this cavalcade, like this like this pantry of theologians behind them supporting them, right? Yeah. So it, it, there's, there's nothing lonely to being like the youth minister in the parish with no core team, with no, with no volunteers. <laughs> it's sort of like that. It's sort of like, hey, yeah. you might feel like you're alone, but when you get this, you're going to feel like you have a lot of men and women who are really holy and really smart and really know how to do this with teenagers. Like all these people I called into this resource, not me, everybody else. But like, we got your back. Like we're right there. Like we're right there. You're, you, we're we're going to be putting men and women on the screen who know how to unpack the gospel and know how to answer these questions in a way that teenagers will understand and respond to. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is so important for us. Like when you read Catechesi Tridende, when you go through this stuff, and right now um, me and Dave recorded during the summer uh, a set of episodes going through three um, documents from JP2. 
So we went through um, Mission of the Redeemer, the Redeemer of Man, and Veritatis Splendor to just kind of lay out like a, a, a brilliant missionary, charismatic idea of JP2, right? What is evangelization? Mm-hmm. But the, the other document that we had that was like our runner-up was Catechesia Tridente, and I reread that mm-hmm. every year before my catechist day because I, nice. I always want to draw from JP2, who's the, the master evangelist. And when you sit there and you mm-hmm. go through, especially – like if you have no time, read paragraphs 18, 19, and 20, right? right? Just immerse yourself <laughs> in those, reread and reread. You know, oh, I can't read a whole document. Okay, just read these three major paragraphs. But the amazing thing, I'm not frustrated with volunteers. Uh, but the, the thing is like the understanding that like catechesis is our term for discipleship, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Very yep. early on, says in the catechism, I think paragraph four, where it's like very early on, the term catechesis came to describe the total process of Christian discipleship. And when you think about that in this perspective, where are we giving people not just information, but Christ, right? To put people in contact, in intimacy, in communion with Jesus Christ. Yes. And so often, I feel like the catechesis is it walks you right up to them and then is like afraid to make the sale, right? Afraid yep. to to just give them Christ. And to me, that is the difference between a lot of programs that talk about God and something like Venture, which seeks to disclose the heart of the Father in Christ Jesus through Scripture, right? Like that's what all these different voices, all these different people are doing is you're showing the reason why salvation history matters, why Jeff Caven stuff and Scott Hahn stuff and all these different ways of conceptualizing the seven covenants and the 14 historical periods and all these different things, conceptualizing it helps us understand the heart of the father for us, right? It's not just, Hey, let's learn like during the reign of Artaxerxes, these were the people who were, you know, Jewish writers or whatever. Right. It's like, no, no, this is what God was doing when the world was on fire from Persia on down. This is mm-hmm. how God was 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 making saints, raising up prophets and revealing ultimately Jesus Christ to the world. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the Maccabean revolt will change any teenager's heart. It really yeah. will. Um, I think it's clear. <laughs> Study show. <laughs> when you're reading Esther and Daniel. No, I, I think it was Father Contula Mesa, the Vatican preacher, when Pope Benedict XVI uh, took over. And very, very early on, one of his first homilies to Benedict XVI was, we as a church need to focus more on the charisma than the Didache. We, we need to be charisma-based. We need to be Jesus-based and, and stop leaning so hard on the apostolic teaching. Not long after, Benedict XVI released Jesus of Nazareth, which was, you know, such an easy read, um, <laughs> but, a, but, a brilliant, but a brilliantly written. Gosh, the guy's so smart. Brilliantly written. But I think, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Like, the idea, like honestly, when I, when I, when I was shooting, when I went out to shoot venture, and and we were, I mean, we we're on set, you know, you got you got a lot, you have you have production people and camera yeah. people and like you know TDs and PAs, and you have people everywhere. I honestly, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being like facetious. Like I got really, um, I got really emotional. Like I got really choked up several different times, especially when we got into the part on the Gospels and talking the Passion and like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like no matter how many times you hear it, Mike. Like no matter how many times you hear it, it's it's the passion. I mean, it's yep. it's it's God. We have a God who loves us so much that He would rather die than risk spending eternity without us. That demands a response like that. That like like the beauty of the charisma. Like that we we have an issue, right? We like mm-hmm. God wants us in right relationship, and we we screw it up. 
And then he comes and he saves us from ourselves. And then he gives us a church to help us live in right relationship. Like it's, it's not nuclear physics. It's not college calculus. Mm. It's really a very, very simple yet profound message. And we in ministry in the church and parishes, we get in the way. Like with, we, we have so much, our nomenclature, our terminology, we, we have like our checklists, our diocesan checklist. We get in the way of the simplest message in, in the world. Yeah. And that is there is a God and he loves you in spite of you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. It's, it's really not complicated. We make it overly complicated. And that's why any opportunity that we have to explain the beauty and grandeur of this message in a simple way to the next generation, there's no greater responsibility or gift on the planet. Like if you woke up today, God's not done with you yet. Right. Yeah. So God, like give me work until my life is over and life until my work is done. Like mm. we're, we got to hand this baton. We have to hand this baton to the next generation and people that don't understand that they're the ones that are closing parishes. The ones who understand the investment of youth ministry, like we're handing this on to the next generation, they're not closing parishes. The yep. ones who are closing parishes are the ones who have lost sight of their their gift and their call, catechesis, like their call to yep. echo forth and echo down. Yeah, that's so awesome. I was just talking with uh, my pastor and parochial vicar about children crying in the pews, you know, and he said, hey, if they're not crying, we're dying. And the yep. same is true with our, our youth, like uh, youth ministry, high school age, especially middle school. I think I've, I've uncovered a, a new importance for middle school ministry because the the angstiness of the teenage life still hasn't set in and they can oscillate so much between teenager and child or adolescent and child and mm. it's so funny when you can bring out the innocent playfulness in you know these seventh and eighth graders who are trying desperately to look older and to be older but then they can just snap <laughs> in a moment's notice and there's nothing more exciting than, you know, smashing someone in the face with whipped cream or, you know, some some youth group <laughs> game or some silly thing that you do or some goofy thing that I say. And there's an innocence or a a childlikeness about them that that I I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you haven't been corrupted yet. <laughs> sweet, sweet mm -hmm. baby. You haven't been corrupted. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's so much that can take root in you. And you find that the more this is this is me as old man yelling at clouds, but you find that the more <laughs> they saturate themselves in our culture, in our music, in all of like the modern thang, right? It's not that they become, you know, in awe of the fact that they can pull out their phone and have access to 30 million songs at the drop of a hat. It's that they still listen to the same, you know, 20 songs, 40 songs that we listen to with Casey Kasem. But there is a deep cynicism in the lives of high school students that I yeah, yes. Yes. I don't think existed when I was there. I really no. don't. Um, I think there were, even though I would say it was dramatically less, I would say there was more parental involvement in their daily lives, in the construction of their thoughts and worldview. And when that's gone, they are truly unmoored, right? And they, they're, they're adrift. And unless we're giving them, you know, I think of the, the dream of St. John Bosco, of the Eucharist and Mary, unless we're giving them the faith, like every storm, could potentially be a catastrophic storm that comes their way mm -hmm. in their lives. And, and we're not, we're not giving them opportunities to, to encounter the faith that, that got, like you just said, that the God of the universe created the universe because he loves you and he put you in this place, not because of some accident of history. Like 
because there's a plan. And let me tell you about the plan that started in the beginning, right? And it's about finding their place. I love it. I love it. And I'm so grateful that you, um, that you and Ascension and, and all the folks that you have. Um, I think Amari, she's such a, I've gotten, <laughs> got to do so much stuff in Florida with her um, over the years. And she's just the most joyful witness of the gospel, you know, that I got to work with. That's, that's a part of your project. And for our teens to see that, it's just going to be, it's just going to be amazing. You know, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking like, there's so many titles for God, right? Right. I mean, Alpha and Omega and Emmanuel, and King of Kings, Lord, Lord's Prince of Peace. Uh, Acts chapter three, it says you hung the author of life on a tree, mm-hmm. right? The author of life. When you think about that, it's so profound in its simplicity. And especially for a young person, for a young soul who's looking around, wondering, wandering, like to say, wow, there is an author and I'm a character in the story that God wrote me into existence. When they look to their future and they think like God has, like, if they can actually just wrap their heads around the fact that God wrote them, he breathed them into existence. He's the author. He has an amazing story. He's writing. Hmm. He's writing. And you think back to, you know, because you you can get in your forties, you start to get a little jaded and you're stressed and I'm closer to death than I am to birth. And when you're 16, I mean, the world is your oyster. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a whole future ahead of you. If someone can come into your life at 15, 16 and say, hey, you're here for a reason, that that you, you are God's handiwork. You're creating in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10, for good works. And all of a sudden you start to understand that you have a purpose yeah. and that there is an author and he's writing your story. And you get to participate in his plan of salvation. Like if you can understand that at 16, your life's going to change. Not just where you go to college or when you get married or no, like you look at your whole life and you're like, okay, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. So it's not just by happenstance. It's not just by luck. It's not just by stupid, you know, whatever. It's providence. Like God is active and he's moving and he's given me this church to help me. Like it really is, it's mind boggling and mind blowing. And the teenagers who get that part and they make the right decisions at a critical junction in their life, they go on to have lives of abundance. Like yeah. John 10, like they, like they really do. Like in their vocational discernment and how they spend their time, the circle of friends, like everything. Think about, think about, the, think about the decisions you make in high school. Those literally, high school and college, those decisions you make dictate the path of your life, yeah. the people you surround yourself with and what you do and don't do, it really is, it's the most critical juncture, decision-making wise, morality-wise, of your life when you're yep. in middle school and high school and college. So if you have someone who can just walk with you and, and introduce you to this idea of God as the author of your life, that's mind-blowing. That's yeah. soul, that's soul-saving. That's changing, that changes lives, that changes futures and, and families. And families, yeah. That's awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to throw it out to a quick commercial break here from the fine folks at Ascension. Just a quick reminder, we are doing listener question episodes, so we want your questions, questions that come from any of our shows, things that you're thinking about in terms of your own ministry and life and practice. So email us, eksb at ascensionpress.com, and we will be sure to answer those questions in an upcoming uh, listener questions episode. We'll be right back. 
Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and we know, right, as disciples of Jesus, we need to be encountering God's Word on a regular basis. We need God's Word to transform our minds, to move our hearts, and yet if you're anything like me, sometimes you sit down to read the Bible and just you fall asleep, or you get caught up in the names and the events. It can be a confusing set of books. We've created an answer, and the answer, we think, is the Catholic Bible in a Year podcast. It is produced by Ascension and hosted um, by me. For more information, you can go to ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a year. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Every New Shabbat. Uh, I have been talking with Mark Hart, uh, the Bible geek himself. We have been going through his wonderful curriculum that uh, Ascension Press is coming out with for high school youth, um, for even you, if you need to, a, a primer on understanding the big picture of the Bible. It's called Venture. Um, it's not just Mark Hart prattling on at the front of a classroom <laughs> for eight hours, but we'll, a lot of great and diverse voices, a plurality of voices, if you will. Um, Mark, what is one thing you want to see kind of growing out from this program? You know, I, I guess... I, in my heart of hearts, because I, I am, I'm the father of teenagers, right? Like at the end of the day, I'm not an author. You're not an author. I mean, you've written, I've written, whatever, you know, a speaker. You're a dad. I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. I have teenage kids. You know what I mean? And and they're in my house and their friends are in my house all the time eating my food. And I care about them and yeah. their souls. And uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, Gomer, you you know, you have a background in theology, right? I've 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 learned theology over the years. There's a lot of parents um, who don't have that, which is fine. Like they, they say other things, which is totally fine. But they feel ill-equipped, I think, as a primary catechist. You know, the catechism was like, oh, you're the primary catechist. And then I think that instills a lot of fear and even like shame in yeah. some parents. Like, oh, I should yeah. know better. You know, I went to Catholic school, but I don't remember. The most important thing that we can do for the souls entrusted to us is to teach them to know and love God, Deuteronomy 6, right? Just to know God and to love God. That's how we're going to be judged. That's our role. It's okay if you don't sit around and read dead theologians. It's okay if you don't sit around and read the catechism. It's okay. But as parents, as you know, people who are entrusted, these souls are entrusted to us, I think it's also important that we understand what is out there that we can use, we can avail ourselves to, to help guide young souls to God, right? So there's tons of amazing resources. Like when I was a teenager, when you were a teenager, there wasn't anything there. You had to go to like to like the like the Protestant evangelical Bible shop and you Mm -hmm. had to buy a Bible study. And it was about David and you pull out David and put in Mary and make it Catholic. Like it wasn't there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Stuff exists now. Like there's there's good stuff now. And so um, whether you venture or anything, I don't care. But like what I guess I just want to say like to those those parents, those catechists who are like, I don't have all the answers and maybe I don't know how to do it. That's okay. Like th- th- see, see now there's stuff out there. We can do the heavy lifting for you. The, mm-hmm. the point is do something, yeah. do something like, like, like love your kids, love their friends enough to do something where they can come to encounter the God of the universe. Right. If that's a, if that's a, Bible study resource, if that's a summer camp, if it's a youth conference, I don't care. But but put Jesus in their path somehow because they're going to learn about life and death. They're going to learn about sex. The question is from who? Yeah. So if you don't get off your butt now and do <laughs> something, don't be shocked when your kid is at some you know nameless state university and they're being proselytized by the finest atheist professors money can buy. 
Yep. Like do something yep. and ground them now so that they actually have the tools to survive. Yeah, that's awesome. Well said. My whole life was changed when my dad decided, uh, and we talked about this with Jeff Cavins when we interviewed him. I did the Bible timeline before it was called the Bible timeline. You had like colored pencils and him and Scott Hahn are taking turns giving the <laughs> talks. And my that's dad, right. it was a Sunday and my dad's like, hey, let's do this. And I had been listening to Scott Hahn tapes and stuff, but like to systematically. Divine sonship, divine <laughs> sonship, covenant, covenant, covenant. I love Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, but just walking <laughs> through the Bible in that definitive way mm. helped me to understand it in a way that, you know, forever changed me. And, my youth group at the time, you know, I was up in Oklahoma, was mostly socials and service projects. It, it was zero catechesis. And my dad was just like, we're doing this. Let's just do this. And he let me take off school the next day because we stayed up till one o'clock in the morning going through all this stuff. And uh, <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. It was called Our Father's Plan, right? I remember yes. that. Yeah. 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 Scott and Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott and Jeff. And then, uh, yeah, it was so good. And I went through all that and it was, you know, we did it in, in a day and a half. And it was, we just had it constantly playing and, and in the house and reading and taking notes and stuff. And, um, you know, and, and now I'm, I have a master's degree in theology. Like my dad's not waiting for youth group to do the thing, went out and got a resource and did the thing. And so that's what I would say to parents who maybe you don't live in a great place, but you got kids, you got, they got friends, just do it at your house. Bam. Boom. It's honestly, it's honestly that easy. It yeah. sounds like it's so complicated. It's really, really not. Put out some refreshments, get some pizza, press play, and have a conversation. Yep. Boom. And that's it. Thank you, Mark Hart, for coming on the show. Uh, as always, I appreciate you. I appreciate your your yes to Christ all those years ago and taking a, a terrible, low-paying job in youth ministry. Uh, yeah. You've you've been one of the main lights in my life, especially when I was super active in, in youth group and doing all this stuff. And Sunday, Sunday, Sunday was... Uh, yeah, I mean, I was faithful listener, got all the teens, you know, all that stuff. So thank you for everything that you've done for the youth of our church. You're awesome. Gomer, you continue to blow me away. Thanks for the podcast. Thanks for everything you're doing. Um, Hey man, if I don't see you in person sooner, I'll see you in heaven. Alrighty. Sounds good. Well, if that's the plan at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds great. Uh, aim high, aim high. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line from uh, the Simpsons where he says, uh, uh, Reverend Lovejoy's mad at someone. He goes, I'll see you in hell. And he slams the door and then he opens the door and puts his face there and goes, from heaven. And then he slams the door again. <laughs> I remember the time when Homer was like, Homer's like, I'm not running for Jesus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good times. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to Every Nisha Bow. Adios. 